Notice anything different? That's right. No ad. Which means this space is available. So if you have a company or brand or product or anything really that you'd love to promote on 30 Pop, this is your chance. Just shoot me an email at the link in the show notes and I'll give you all the relevant details. Now, on to 30 Pop. This is Becky. Leave me a message. I'll call you back. Thanks. Hey, Mom. It's Luke. I just wanted to give you a quick call and let you know the results of our Decisions Decisions poll about whether or not Die Hard 2, Die Harder is a Christmas movie are in. And the results are 85% of our voters said, yes, obviously, without a doubt, Die Hard 2, Die Harder is a Christmas movie. And only 15% said, bah humbug. So... I hope that gives you all the Christmas feelings like it does me. Maybe because you've never seen the movies, next time I'm home, we can watch them together. All right. I love you. From Milieu Media Group, this is 30 Pop, a weekly peek back at the music, movies, sports, fashion, politics, and news from 30 years ago. I'm your host, Luke Braun. This is Season 2, Episode 29. Eight legs, two fangs, and an attitude. Today we're looking back at the week that ended Saturday, July 21st, 1990. Hello again, friends, and welcome back. Before we begin our weekly voyage into pop culture past, I want to take a quick moment to remind you about this week's 30 Pop Trivia Night, Christmas in July. If you've never experienced a 30 Pop Trivia Night, this will be a fun one to join in for the first time. We're taking a break from the heat of the summer, a break from the struggles of what's proving to be such a difficult year for so many folks, and a break from the social isolation that's come to define this crazy pandemic. And we're just going to have fun for a bit, looking back on some of the greatest feel-good movies and music of all time, especially, although not exclusively, from the 80s and early 90s. I've mentioned before, I'm sure, that I have become in my adulthood the type of person who enjoys Christmassy things all year long, and I have no shame about it. So I hope that for just about 90 minutes this Wednesday evening, July 22nd, you'll join me at the Zoom link in the show notes for some unseasonably merry and, as always, nostalgic times. I promise you, it'll be fun. All right, now let's jump into the news from this week in 1990. Unsurprisingly, following its theatrical release last week, the number one film at the box office 30 years ago this week was Patrick Swayze, Demi Moore, and Whoopi Goldberg's spectacular romantic fantasy thriller, Ghost. This movie was like the biggest deal, and I'm genuinely excited to get into it, but I'm going to wait a couple more weeks to do that, as it returns to the top of the box office very soon. I will mention, though, just to give you an idea of how huge this movie was, Produced with a budget of around $20 million, Ghost made over half a billion dollars at the box office and adjusted for inflation is in the top 100 most successful film blockbusters of all time. Like I said, we'll dive deeper on that in just a couple weeks. Significantly less successful, for good reason, however, was the Charlie Sheen, Michael Biehn American military propaganda film Navy Seals, which released in theaters on July 20th, 1990 barely breaking even on its $21 million budget and coming in fourth for its opening weekend. This one was a surprise to me. 
Not that it was bad, as most action movies in that time were pretty bad, even the ones we love, but that it landed Charlie Sheen and Michael Biehn in its leading roles, each of whom were coming off really successful runs. Biehn with The Terminator, Aliens, and most recently The Abyss, and Sheen with Young Guns, Eight Men Out, and Major League, and with his Top Gun spoof, Hot Shots, on the very near horizon. But as I dug a little into each of the actors' IMDb profiles, it became clear. While they each had some hit films, they never stopped taking pretty much any acting gig that came their way. There are some pretty ridiculous films in each of their respective repertoires, but with both actors, some serious jewels peppered throughout their careers as well. Also new in theaters this week in 1990 was the incredibly clever and well-received Matthew Broderick Marlon Brando crime comedy, The Freshman, in which Brando plays the role of Carmine Sabatini, the man upon whom his previous character, Don Vito Corleone in The Godfather was supposedly based. While The Freshman had an underwhelming box office return its opening weekend, to say the least, it was highly praised by critics and eventually made back its $12 million budget almost twice over. The reason it failed to make a big splash its opening weekend, though, is because anyone who wasn't watching Patrick Swayze and Demi Moore throw clay on the potter's wheel, not a euphemism, was watching Jeff Daniels and John Goodman kill spiders in the very first feature film from Walt Disney Studios' brand new production label, Hollywood Pictures. The comedy horror, Arachnophobia. The Jennings family has just moved to the small town of Kanaima. Oh, Ross, smell that air. Oh, God. In search of a simpler life. Want a blue of a bullfrog? Okay. It's the perfect place. Goodbye crime, goodbye grime. Except for one pesty little problem. Come with me and look at the web. The web? I have a terrible fear of spiders. Come on, we live in the country now. It's time to work through this irrational, paralyzing terror. It's not irrational. Hollywood Pictures and Amblin Entertainment present Jeff Daniels. Honey, we're in the living room. We need you to kill a spider. And John Goodman. Bill McClintock, infestation management. Oh, my guy's just a spider. Would anybody object if I tore this floor out? I would. False alarm, then lead on. There's no spider here. Every so often in a little town somewhere, there is a health scare. There's a rumor going around that some kind of spider might have killed Sam Metcalf. Spiders make convenient culprits. There's no spider here. I think one of your Venezuelan spiders hitched a ride here. There may be some spiders around here that are very dangerous. Dad, chill out. Just run. They spread out from a central nest in a web-like pattern and dominate the entire area. When that happens, this town is dead. Better encourage my private stock. Hollywood Pictures and Amblin Entertainment present Arachnophobia, Eight Legs, Two Fangs, and an Attitude. Perk up, Lloyd. If we find the spider that did this, you can arrest him. Arachnophobia, a thrillomedy. I'll be honest. I had every intention of covering this film in a new installment of our segment, Truly Horrible Things, about things that are, you know, truly horrible, but which we love anyway. But as I researched this movie, which I haven't honestly seen since I was a kid, I couldn't find where anyone actually thinks it's bad. It's got a most impressive 92% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. It was produced in part by Steven Spielberg and made over $50 million at the box office. So now I just kind of want to rewatch it. 
From what I read, the writers and directors were going for a very Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds feel with thrills and comedy in equal measure. And at least as far as I can remember, that's pretty much exactly where they landed. Plus, I mean, it's John Goodman and Jeff Daniels. Dumb and Dumber meets The Big Lebowski. I'll take that combo anytime. Now for some music updates. As you've surely come to suspect by now, there was obviously no change on the Billboard charts in the top album spot. MC Hammer was still holding strong for the sixth of the last seven weeks, which puts us at almost a third of the way through his mind-bogglingly long reign with his admittedly fantastic album, Please Hammer, Don't Hurt Him. We also saw no change in the top country song in the nation, with Garth Brooks's The Dance at number one for the second straight week. Similarly, Johnny Gill's My 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 was enjoying its second week at the top of the hot R&B and hip-hop charts. The top song on the Hot 100 chart for the first of two weeks was She Ain't Worth It by Glenn Medeiros featuring Bobby Brown. But my favorite of all this week's chart toppers was the song that was absolutely crushing the hot rap chart for the first of four consecutive weeks. A song for which I'm proud to say I owned the cassette single. We're All in the Same Gang by the West Coast Rap All-Stars. Who's that, you ask? Well, let me tell you. The West Coast Rap All-Stars included rappers Ice-T, King T, Young MC, MC Hammer, Def Jeff, Michelle Lay, Body and Soul, Tone Loke, Shock G and Humpty Hump, admittedly the same person, from Digital Underground, Above the Law, JJ Fad, Oak Towns 357, and Dr. Dre, MC Ren, and Easy E from NWA. They came together, ironically, in light of the songs that made several of them famous to begin with, to release this seven-and-a-half-minute collaboratively written masterpiece promoting anti-violence. It was like 1990s version of We Are the World, and like We Are the World was nominated for a Grammy, although inexplicably it did not end up winning. I've included a link to the music video in the show notes, and I really hope you'll check it out. I can't express to you how much I loved this song and video as a 10-year-old kid, and it brings back some serious nostalgia for me to watch it now. I'd be lying if I said I don't still remember every word of this song. Anyway, check it out. Friends, that's it for me this week. I've got a little more Christmas trivia to write, which couldn't make me happier, so I'm going to do it. Until next week, please, stop the fighting. Make the change, because we're all in the same game. 30 Pop is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Bronner. Our artwork is by the amazing Heather Hale. To check out more shows from Mill U Media Group, visit millumedia.com, which is linked in the show notes for this episode. And if you have a story from 1990 that you want to share on the air, email 30poppodcast at gmail.com. <laughs>